Harp on Sports with Seth Harp. You know what time it is. Three, two, one. Let's do this. Go, bartenders. Go, food needs refill. Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, and radio network. What do we have in store for you on this edition of the program? A little NBA next step. Something is taking place in the NBA. The All-Star Weekend, I thought it was good. I thought it was entertaining. They try to liven it up constantly. You know, Team Giannis and Team LeBron, and they're making their picks. And right before the game that they make these selections, and the dunk contest gave us something a little bit different, right? And baseball's home run derby and that All-Star game, the NHL gets lost in the shuffle. And, of course, everybody just complains all the time about the Pro Bowl. But the NBA should have revealed something this year. Did you see it? Should have opened the doors on something. So we're going to look at that. Also, also, a little bit of a Daytona dud, Daytona drama. You know, usually the guy that has the lead, the checkered flag wins. But when you get a white flag also on the last lap and the checkered flag and the yellow that went out NASCAR, (laughs) I get it. You're trying to make it exciting at the end, but too much, too much. Also, but by the way, what's happened to that race, right? 15 years ago, 20 years ago, it was the pinnacle of what it was now. Oh my gosh. Um, yeah, no, pretty sad stuff. Also college football recruiting. And the fact that we now have some numbers courtesy of USA today on how much the top five budgets are for college football recruiting while you're about ready to see hypocrisy in full swing. Again, Harp on Sports, the bar, podcast, audio, media, radio, network. Follow, share, like, subscribe at Harp on Sports Twitter, at Harp on Sports Instagram, Harp on Sports, the bar. Of course, the auditory route, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Harp on Sports, YouTube channel, the bar, Harp on Sports, the Facebook page, and of course, HarpOnSports.com. Let's start off with the NBA. Do you realize that we are in the midst of ushering out another era? We are. We're, we're in the midst of ushering out another era of guys. Now, we know LeBron at 38. He's going to play for a couple more years. He is. But I wrote down some names. And, you know, a decade ago, we looked at the guys that we said goodbye to. About a decade ago, we, we started to push out the Paul Pierces, didn't we? The Paul Pierces, the Kevin Garnetts, those guys went away. And about every five years, we go through this. You know, the, the Tim Duncans of the world. Those guys, okay, those guys are gone. The guys that came around in the late 90s. Well, now you have a group of guys, the Kobe's of the world, right? Those guys, about six, seven years ago, right? We started to shove those guys out. Well, now we find ourselves in an era where we have that next generation of guys that are going to be going soon. I wrote these guys down, all in their mid-30s to late 30s. LeBron, Steph, KD. You know, Steph wasn't around because he's injured. Dame Lillard, who's in his early 30s, but the clock's ticking on him too. We've, we've got a whole group here that, you know, Clay Thompson, not a perennial all-star, but you've got a group of guys that are, are starting to go that you're looking at three or four years left. Maybe. So it's just going to be interesting to see how this generation of basketball is judged. And I look back on what each of those generations were, you know, Kobe and 
you know, Tim, Tim Duncan and Kobe Bryant, each one five, right? So that was that generation's A and B. And then, you know, Kevin Garnett had his and Paul Pierce and had their title, the Ray Allens of the world, those guys that were in there as well. Now, now we're this generation, we're, we're, we're at the end. We're at the end times, if you will. So as I was watching the All-Star game and, and just soaking in the weekend, I thought, wait a second here. The, there's some veterans, and you see the guys on the sideline that are celebrating and the guys that are broadcasting, like, wow, we're, we, whoa, we're in a new era now. We're, we're in the cusp of the baton being passed to the what? To the Tatums, to the John Morants, to the Lucas, and to the Jokic. That, that, that's where we're going now. That's the next era. Here it comes. You have, a, you have the next era of NBA right here. So the era that we compared to Jordan that we despise for whatever reason, say we, but just this whole era that, oh my gosh, you're not as good as you compared him to Jordan 6. It'll be interesting to see what this next era is compared to. What standard we hold the Jaws of the world, the, the Tatums of the world, the Lucas. It'll be interesting. So, you know, and then <laughs> wrote down, you know, Mac McClung, you know, your G League, what, he's the guy that has the fewest NBA starts ever to win a dunk contest. What do you have? Under 10. Kobe was the previous record holder under, what, 45 or whatever it was for him. So, I mean, it was impressive. I mean, the dunk contest was cool. I liked it. But I hadn't heard of this dude. I hadn't. Let me see him dunk. Okay, I've seen him in a couple videos. All right, all right, I get it. But not that that holds that much stock anymore. Still a cool event. You watch it, you're in awe. And the NBA is strong. Don't let anybody fool you. It's it's an extremely strong shape right now. It is. It's an extremely strong. It was a great showing of the weekend. It's just that the light bulb went off on me that we are we are in the beginning of the change of another era. As I mentioned, between five and ten years ago, we had this era ushering out of the Garnets, the Pierces, the Duncans, the Kobe's. Those guys were exiting stage right. Nowitzki, shame on me, Dirk Nowitzki. Okay, and now we have this era that is again LeBron, Steph. I put KD in there. What what is KD right now? Thirty four. LeBron's thirty eight. I, I I don't know. If LeBron may be a couple of years older. He'll be the we'll be the first one of these guys' injuries going to catch up to him. Or do we have a situation where Tom Brady walking away that there's no way any other quarterback's going to retire? I mean, the minute LeBron hangs him up, whenever that is, is it three more years? Does, do you see KD playing past thirty seven? Steph playing past thirty eight? I I don't. We're, we're, we're only so many more of these left with these guys. So the aught era, the guys that came out after 2000. I know. So there you go. All right, one to pivot from that to this, from the NBA to college sports. Recruiting. USA Today, I want to make sure I get this right. USA Today through Syracuse University, um, the recruiting budgets for the top five programs in terms of spending money for recruiting. Georgia's number one, and it's not even close. 4.5 million. 2.98 for the school that's second on this list. So Georgia spends a million and a half dollars more than Texas A&M. And then you have Tennessee at 2.92, Texas at 2.44, and Bama at 2.32. That's just recruiting money. That includes lodging, transportation, flights, meals, Georgia has a $4.5 million recruiting budget. And also, the last five years, Georgia's landed the top three classes. So, it makes sense. It makes sense why Georgia's so good. They spend the most money. 
Now, throwing the most money at a problem doesn't usually solve it. But when I have a million and a half more dollars, now I need to stretch that money. And Georgia makes that money work better than anybody else. You don't hear a lot of Georgia NIL talk, do you? You really don't. Georgia's got a plan, and they stick to it. And their recruiting budget's higher than anybody else. So what do you do? Is this the next thing? You know, in every competitive sport, everybody wants an even playing field or an equal playing field, don't you? The NFL is designed with an even playing field where the worst team gets to pick first and the best team gets to pick last. Now, how you shuffle your picks around, that's totally up to you. But it's designed that way. And as I look at this for college football, you know, but again, two educations aren't the same. Tuition at Notre Dame, if you go there to play, as opposed to tuition at Mississippi State's different. Tuition at Stanford is different than tuition at Michigan State. So no two places are alike, right? So you try to create an even playing field as equal as you can find it. But if Georgia's throwing around three, four million dollars more for their recruiting budget than anybody else. Now, here's what's going to be interesting about this. Do I have a problem with the end of the day? No, because they're reinvesting their money and they're reinvesting their money to get better players. This is smart business. What Georgia, and it didn't work for AM, Tennessee, it worked. Texas, Arch Manning, yeah, Bama, of course. So the only one this year that it didn't work in terms of this recruiting budget was Texas A&M. Not everybody's going to succeed when it comes to this. Some people are going to just make mistakes. But I'd much rather Georgia are going to invest to get more people. We're going to invest in recruiting to get better players in. That beats having another statue outside of the stadium. A bunch of more flat screens in there. Georgia's chose to invest in players. I love it. I'd much rather see investments in people than in objects. That's how you win. Everybody always loves, and you hear me say it all the time, everybody loves the name on the front of the jersey, but you win because of the names on the back of the jerseys. Those are the people that win it for you. Stetson Bennett is the reason Georgia was good these last... Stetson Bennett is the reason why they were able to come back against Ohio State. Well, it hurt, helped, but Marvin Harrison Jr. got hurt, but you know the, the drill there. This is how you win. Now, the one thing I will say about this, you talk about Georgia dropping $4.5 million in recruiting. Texas A&M, $3 million. Tennessee, $2.92. Like, oh, we got to invest more. We got to invest more. We got to invest more. If that were NIL money, you'd, you'd, you'd pump the brakes, wouldn't you? So investing $4.5 million, Georgia, this past year to bring players in, we got to spend more. That's the reaction that you get from different fan bases. If you're to funnel in four and a half million dollars for NIL to pay players, be like, oh, these kids are making too much. Oh, well, well, oh this is ridiculous. Yeah, I know. All right? It's kind of like last week where everybody loved Chris Stapleton. Certain people love Chris Stapleton's halftime show or national anthem, but hated Rihanna. It's like, hmm, what's the difference here? I love Chris Stapleton. I didn't like Rihanna. Hmm, I wonder what the difference is between those two. Recruiting budgets. Now, to me, I'd like to see it capped. I would. Like, okay, can't spend more than $3 million on recruiting. You can't. Because these budgets are going to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. 
the minute the SEC next contract kicks in with A&M or excuse me, with Texas and Oklahoma coming in, and then you're adding 10 to $15 million more per team. I give, again, I'll give Georgia credit. They're reinvesting in this. It's better than building a slide in their locker room at Clemson or a barber shop. I'm sure these schools have these things too, but Georgia has chosen to spend its money on recruiting players to keep the pipeline going. Good for them. I don't fault them at all. Smart business. They're just a step ahead of everybody. Right there's why. Certain schools we don't have, certain private schools we don't have the, the numbers for, the money for, because they don't disclose it. But what do you see here? People that spend the most on recruiting, usually the ones that get the better players. That's the way it works. We'll see, we'll see if there's as much an uproar about the recruiting budgets of these programs. No, because when programs do it, it's okay. Like when athletes make a bunch of money, it's bad. When owners make a bunch of money, it's America. Same thing. Uh, Let's wrap with this, shall we? The Daytona 500 taking place. And, I mean, is it Indy Boy and Tony Stewart? uh, This race used to be a gigantic deal. I mean, you look back just 20 years ago, it was a monster deal. The ratings were through the roof. The start of the twentieth, the start of the twenty-first century. I mean, it was amazing. And now, it's turned into double overtime. And uh, what? The longest race ever. I'm like, okay, well now we have double overtime. And I get it. I've been. I was at a multiple Indy five hundreds. Dario Franchitti, I think, did it twice, or he won the Indy five hundred under caution. That kind of sucks. You sit there and you watch a race for three, three and a half hours, 90 degree heat. Maybe not so at the Daytona 500, but still, you sit there for three and a half hours and then the race ends because somebody wrecks away from the rest of the pack. So what? I like the fact that Daytona and NASCAR said, all right, we're not doing that anymore. But they did it anyway, right? A wreck on the last lap is going to lead to caution. And... NASCAR's got to go back at the track and figure out who's got the lead. Okay, who had the lead? It took like 20 seconds to figure it out. So after double overtime and then a wreck that had nothing to do with the two leaders, that stops the race based on where you are. Race over. And again, this was a niche sport that became nationwide because of the Jeff Gordons of the world. It did. And then Jimmy Johnson. Kind of where Jeff Gordon was, he passed the baton to Jimmy Johnson, and everybody kind of looked around. You still had Dale Jr. and you know your your old guard, where the Jarretts and the Wallaces were hanging it up at the time, and this transition took place. And all of a sudden, you were looking around, going, "Wait a second, what is the sport now?" And the young stars got out. The Danicas of the world got out. Dale Jr. concussions got out. Carl Edwards got out. Your young stars kind of looked around and went, you know what? <laughs> now, I know the Bushes are still around and you have some young guys out there that people like, but a lot of the younger guys that that were the brands bailed. And I look at this and, I, you know, how much of the race did I watch? The last 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I watched the beginning, but it's just not one of these things that just captivates me anymore. It doesn't. The household names are gone. It's a spectacle. It's an event. But it just kind of comes and goes now. It's kind of sad what happened to it. 
and you know, Formula One is building this pocket too. So you had IndyCar in the '60s and '70s and '80s, and even into the early '90s with the Unsers. But once they started to go, then you had NASCAR build, and now you have Formula One that's building with this next generation. So, but it's still kind of one of these things that you watch it double overtime. Everything that they did to bring drama into it, in the end, everybody's kind of looking around at each other, going, "Wait a second, the person that crossed the finish line first didn't win." The checkered flag, what? It didn't, okay, that guy won, and he won because he had the lead when that wreck took place. I get it. I get it. And also, a part of me is like, let him race. Who cares? Who cares about what happened behind him? Let him race. But then you have people trying to jockey for position and money, and it turns into a mess. Part of me thought, just let the guys at the top, let the the, the guys at the beginning finish it. But NASCAR tinkered here and there, and not saying that had anything to do with it. If it, because you don't want this thing to finish under caution, but it still did anyway. It's kind of one of those things. It's kind of it's too bad. But you know, I I don't want to say it was pure when it ended at 500 miles or 200 laps, even under caution. But it kind of was. And now, in an effort to make it more dramatic at the ending, most 90, 99 times out of 100, it is. Not this time. So, well, purists are upset, but it's kind of a tree falls in the wood type of thing with this thing, right? This this is not, oh, just another bad sign, another nail in the coffin for NASCAR. No, the coffin's been in the grave for a couple years. They need a, a reckoning. They just need a big name, a couple big names. Some, inter- you know, the Timmy Richmonds of the world, they need they need somebody like that to pull it out because... It's a sport that's not dead, but been dead. It's too bad. Harpon Sports, the bar, podcast, media, audio, radio network. Follow, share, like, subscribe at Harpon Sports Twitter, at Harpon Sports Instagram. Harpon Sports, auditory route, Buzzsprout, Spotify, Apple Podcast, Harpon Sports, YouTube channel, Facebook page, and of course, HarponSports.com. Remember, stay clean, stay focused, stay strong. Frankenstein, have fun with your friends.